I said, no, you can't buy me. This is 100% what I I love, what I think is great, and I want. This is this is my sandbox, and you can't buy me. Biz Jams Media, this is the Biz Jams Podcast, a show where we talk to musicians, management, and business leaders to uncover their stories of how music and business jam. Greg Latterman is the perfect guest on Biz Jams. The story of Aware Records kind of encapsulates what we're trying to do here. Talk about great music, and so I can rationalize this endeavor with my career as a CFO, try to pick up some business insights along the way. Aware Records began in 1993 as a compilation CD of unsigned bands that quickly grew into something much larger. At its height, Aware included the compilations, record company, a partnership with Columbia Records, and a management company with offices around the country. But at its core was Greg's ability to recognize great music. Prior to being signed to labels, the Aware CDs were out in front of the careers of a few bands you probably have heard of. Hootie and the Blowfish, Matchbox 20, Jack Johnson, Better Than Ezra, Train, and many others. Even John Mayer, who actually, as it turns out, apparently had a career before Dead & Company. To keep this in perspective, this was the pre-internet days, so it took much more than a Google search and Spotify. It actually took an ear for great music and a lot of hustle. So where did Aware get its start? Well, the idea was kind of there all along. It just needed to be recognized by Greg. And when he recognized it, it needed a catalyst. And that catalyst happened to be a job in public accounting, obviously. So I grew up in East Lansing, Michigan, and I actually went to Michigan State. And I I loved music, but I didn't know anything about music. And then when I got to college, I was always the guy asked to make mixed cassette tapes for our parties. And I was always making tapes for, you know, girlfriends and such. <laughs> and I got to be known as the guy like that could make the best mixtapes and always knew bands before they got big um, or knew about bands that no one had heard of but were incredible and, like, how did you know about them? And so I got really into the discovery process, um, which in turn led to when I was a CPA in Boston and hated my job and wanted to figure out what to do, um, I was actually trying to figure out what kind of company to start but in my free time, not thinking that it was going to be part of what I do, I was always making mixtapes for my friends. I, I, I ski race nationally, so I had friends all over the country. And I'd send cassette tapes to people, and they in turn would uh, tell me what they liked and didn't like. And so what ended up happening was, um, as I, I, like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do next, because I was going to quit my job at the end of two years. At the same time, I was actually still making cassette tapes. And so three months before my two years was up as a CPA, um, it hit me that, like, what I was really passionate about and what I was actually pretty good at compared, you know, from what people were telling me was finding all these bands and, and I had a good ear because people loved them and they weren't famous yet. So I kind of figured out that the bands that were in the middle of the country, like not East Coast, like not New York or L.A., um, there are all these parts of the country that pre-internet had incredible artists that were making a living because they could sell CDs now and make great recordings and make great artwork. So for the first time, 
it was like this perfect timing that you could make a professional looking sounding CD and by selling that and playing you could actually have that be your job and these were bands that um, were selling 10 20 30 thousand albums a year so it was pretty successful and yet they weren't being found quickly so um, I just I'm like wait I know the 10 best in the country I think there's other people like me I'm gonna figure out how to make this a product um, and my company I just did it I had so, no I never was a DJ I wasn't like booking shows um, I didn't know anything so skipping back just a little bit you're in college what what made you be a, a you know to be an accounting major and what what made you think you wanted to go into public accounting I don't know if it, I, I'll try I'll try not to get deep I'm writing a book right now um, and so I'm in the middle of trying to write this but okay. the, the, the simple answer is I was not, a, I have EDD, I was not, I didn't bring my books home in high school, so I, I graduated at 2-5, I didn't any classes that were hard, um, didn't get into any college, but I got, uh, I, started, I started calling coaches of ski teams, they had varsity teams, I got into Northern Michigan on a partial scholarship, I only got in because of skiing, went to Northern Michigan, um, did well well enough to transfer to Michigan State. Was about to get kicked out of Michigan State my, uh, in the in going between winter and spring. And uh, on spring break, I was shrooming out of my mind, and I <laughs> fell asleep on the beach. And I dreamed of what my future was going to be. And uh-huh. I always thought I was going to go to top grad school, but for the first time, my reality with my um, dream was was like this isn't going to work if you're not even going to graduate from college. So, so I dreamed what I was going to do to turn my life around in school, and they gave me one more semester to get my grades up. And I took what I knew from snow skiing, which is visualization, habits, um, eating well, like everything I learned from snow skiing to compete at the highest level. I actually put it into studying for tests and writing papers uh-huh. and I basically and, and, and it, it culminated with my first accounting class was that spring so what happened was I always loved business and I didn't understand why I needed to take math classes and English classes because but I love I've been reading Forbes and Wall Street Journal since I was in eighth grade and every bio that ever came out so I took accounting class that spring and loved it because it was the most real business thing I'd ever done and since, 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 since you asked me the detail I thought I should have gotten an A and I got a uh, A minus in the class so my first accounting class and I should have been happy with an A minus right yeah. now I was beyond pissed I thought my I thought I should have gotten an A was so upset about it that I then became an accounting major, and I got a four point, a perfect 4.0 in every one of my accounting classes after that class. So I graduated a 396 in accounting. I graduated, I brought my 1.8 up to a 3.6 when I graduated. That's unbelievable. Yeah, so, so, so I had, every, I could go, because I was like the top of the accounting world at Michigan State, um, I could go anywhere, and there was a Boston partner that came from Michigan State and Cooper's Library in Boston was the dominant. They had mm-hmm. every top, top, top um, 
uh, I mean, it's Lotus, Deck. Uh, I mean, every great Raytheon, every great company in Boston was at Cooper's. So, so that was the best client. I wanted to go somewhere different so I could prove to myself I could go make it where I didn't know anyone. So I, right. I picked Boston. Um, and it was great, and I had great clients. And, and ironically, um, one of my clients was a venture capital company called TA Associates, and I was just meeting with the founder of uh, Skinny Pop Popcorn. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's like, yeah, our first investor was TA Associates. I'm like, oh, my God, that's so hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I went, I did it because, because, and my dad was a lawyer. My dad always told me, like, if you're an accounting major, um, you can do anything with that. Like, if you want to be in business, it's a great base to have. So, and, and it was the only thing I, it was the only thing that I could do where I, was, I wasn't, like, at a disadvantage because when I was uh-huh. taking a math class or an English class, because I didn't have the base of what everyone else had in that class from high school, I was learning stuff new. And yep. so with accounting, everyone was learning it new. So. Well, that's, uh, that, that's, that's awesome. And it's funny because I, I tell people the same thing. When I was, a, I was an accounting major and I went to change my major to finance, and my academic advisor was also the head of the accounting department, and he asked me why. I said, well, I don't, I'm not really sure I'm passionate about accounting. And he said, you know, are you passionate about finance? And I said, well, I don't think so. And he said, well, with an accounting degree, you know, you're going to get an overview, and you can, you can get a job anywhere, as opposed to a finance major might have something more limited in front of them. Right. So he said, for a general overview and, and, of and business. It, and as a finance major, you're taking the hard accounting classes anyway. So you right. to do it. Yeah, yeah, you don't even get the credit then, yeah. So I was CFO at an engineering research company for a number of years, and I used to make fun of the engineers for their own, what I called, engineering degree bias. Apparently, I do the same thing with business degrees. Therefore, I apologize to all the finance majors I just insulted. We'll be right back. Before social media, to grow a business, people had to actively network to make real one-on-one connections. When I hear Greg talk about networking, you can feel his passion for what he was doing. So it didn't seem like he was building a network or growing a company. You actually just hear a guy trying to discover and spread great music around. To me, it kind of shows great things happen when your passion aligns with your company's mission. Back then, how did you go about finding the band that you ended up saying, hey, this is a pretty good band nobody's heard about? It, it was, I would I would send people were like hey send me a set tape I'm missing get I'm missing getting them from you and I'd send it to them and um, they would in turn say I like this I like that and they'd send me CDs back so they'd say they'd be like hey man you don't know about this band they're 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 you know from Texas or they're from Mississippi you should know about these guys and you know not all of them were good but I was I had so much uh, flow that I was able to kind of sift through it and then and then. Once I said, okay, I'm going to do this, what I did was I started 
calling the really good bands that I found and asking mm-hmm. them about other bands. So they would tell me about other bands or they would tell me about a great agent in D.C. or they'd tell me about a great record store in Boulder. They're like, you should call this guy at this record store. He knows everything. So what happened was just through getting on the phone and talking to people, I actually like widened my network to the point where I was talking almost, you know, I, I kind of covered the whole country and I was able to sift through everything and I believe find at that time what the, what the best unsigned bands were that had made great recordings that had followings um, but just needed to be exposed. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, could, I could attest the first couple CDs especially were, you know, no bands I had heard of and yeah. the types of bands that I liked in Columbus, Ohio, where, you know, locally and even within the state, they had a following. And anybody who would ask, hey, what's a good local band, I would be passionate enough to tell them, hey, you really need to check these guys out. And it sounds like you found the network of a lot of people like me who were very eager to tell you about great bands yeah. that nobody else had heard of. And then, and then when I put the first one out, then the world told me, right? So as soon as I put yeah. the first one out, I had every manager, band, every fan, so the first one was like, you know, me out there digging, but then, but then it flipped really fast where I just got everything. Um, yeah. So I think by the third one, I, I had exposure to everybody. You, you talked about having an ear for, you know, recognizing bands. So, like, when you put the bands on the CD, and I mean, like I mentioned, you had Matchbox 20, Hootie, Train. Hootie you cheated on, though, because... I saw Hootie down in Hilton Head the night that their album came out, and it was about a year and a half later that, that they showed up on no. year or two. <laughs> no, 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 they, no, 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 no. I, I put them on in 93. Their Atlantic record came out in 94. So where, I thought no. Aware 2 was, because I, I had seen no, them. No, sorry, sorry. No, I put, it out, I, I put them on the compilation in 94, and they came out right after that. No, I, they were on time. Trust me, I... They couldn't have signed my contract if they were signed. They were unsigned. I, um, the only bands ever that were signed to labels when they were on the compilation were if I signed them to Aware directly while uh-huh. I was doing the deal. I couldn't have gotten I couldn't have gotten them to sign the deal otherwise. Well, but it, it uh, came so, out on top of that. <laughs> so I, w- I was half joking because I uh, I had seen them down in Hilton Head and. Uh, it's it was probably you know six it was in a club and then six months later they were in columbus at a uh a venue and that's probably like a you know a couple thousand uh seat venue and that's about yeah. when the where two came out you know after the the atlantic release and they then blew up fast so you gotta remember later, it takes a minute, right yeah, yeah like i probably i probably did the deal like in february of 94 compilation came out in september of 94 they got so big, they probably signed over that summer and put their record out like it, like in the winter of 95, I think. Yeah. And the, the, So here's what happened, though, with, with Hootie, if you want to know a good Hootie story is, so they had an EP they made. So all the bands had made their own record. So they had an independent right. record, and it had a song on it called The Old Man and Me. Yep. And so that's what I put on my compilation. Like, all the songs on the album, for the most part, maybe one or two came from that beat, were new. So when Hootie came out and it exploded, they, that song, The Old Man and Me, 
that I had in my compilation wasn't on the album. So right. that when they got huge and they're selling millions of albums, people found out if you wanted this other song, you had to buy this compilation. Oh, that's so great. So when Hootie went and made their second album and they didn't have the big hit, um, Jason Flom, who helped sign them, and their A&R guy, Tim Summers, said, hey, what about that song on the Aware compilation? So they ended up um, recutting it, and it ended up being the first single on their second album, which was probably 96. So I had yeah. like a two-year time period where the only time you could get this Hootie song was on my compilation, which sold the shit out. Well, and you could tell the difference, uh, you know, the, the bands you were getting from two to three to four were getting more and more produced. And that was one of my questions was, yeah. at what point did you, were you no longer having to pull bands in and they were, they were pushing themselves via themselves or management to you? Oh, no, no. After the first one, after the first one, everyone came to me. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it, but still getting the biggest bands, the Better Than Ezra's and the, you know, Verticals and the, and the Hooties, like, they knew what they were going to be. So, mm -hmm. um, I mean, by the way, Dave Matthews personally committed me to be on the second compilation. But by the time it was ready to sign the contract, his new manager, Corin Capshaw, if you know who Corin is, didn't want Dave to be on it because they were going to sign to RCA. So we ended up um, putting Shannon Worrell on, and it was a duet with Dave, but we couldn't yeah. put Dave's name on the front. But if you look on the back of Aware 2, it says, I believe it says Shannon Worrell with Dave Matthews on one of the songs. Yeah, so that was the compromise. We could, so I'm glad Corin let me do that, but originally Dave was going to be on um, the second one. So. So my key business insight garnered from that section of tape, don't ever challenge Greg Latterman on when he signed Hooting the Blowfish. We'll be right back. One thing Greg keeps coming back to, either implicitly or explicitly, was passion and hustle. He clearly had both and he used it as a filter for what bands to include on the compilations and how he grew his business. So, so when you, I mean, you have pretty much song for song, great artists, great songs on there. I mean, did you have a sense, you know, as you filtered them down and put them on, you know, each successive compilation, which ones might become big? Well, so... So here's what I learned really quick was that my my bar, my my bar or my floor to be on it was you had to have made your own record and it mm -hmm. had to sound. So if you if you called me and said this band's amazing but they haven't made a record that sounds like as good as they are alive, I'd be like I don't give a shit because it means that they didn't know how to hustle and how to get things done. If right. you knew how to make your own record with good artwork, right, without major label help. It meant you knew how to hustle. Like so, so why did Who and the Blowfish work? It's because every guy in that band, like Mark was like, you know, Mark was the publicist. Darius was like um, the booking agent. They all had a role. So mm -hmm. like, so you knew if they got a chance, they were going to work their butts off to be successful. They knew what it took to like get anything. 
So what happened was by making sure the bands had made a record that sounded great, had sold albums, and knew how to tour, what and, and knew what it was like to be in a van together that they bought with their own money, it, it sort of raised the bar as far as, like, not only were they good musically, but they, they knew how to get shit done, which gave them a really high odds of succeeding. I mean, the, you know, most bands that are amazing that don't hustle don't make it. It doesn't matter who you are. So right. inadvertently, I really quickly figured that out, and I always that was always my, my bar was like, you have to have made your own record or I don't want you. So um, that's sort of what, and, you know, as time went and the compilations got bigger and, and you know, as we got into the, the Internet, um, the web, and people could find bands easier, things changed a bit. So I had to find I had to, I had to take bands when they were younger and hadn't proven themselves as much. But when it started, like all those bands sold ten, twenty thousand CDs before I put them out. Or by the time you get to like late ninety eight, ninety nine, you know, if you were pretty good, you got found. Passion and hustle plus having the guts to start something. All our trademarks of Greg and became ingrained and aware. Hopefully it came through in this first part, but it was a blast talking with Greg. In part two of my interview, we'll hear some more great stories about the artist, the evolution of Aware Records, and what Greg is doing today, which includes promoting the upcoming Aware 25th anniversary show in Chicago this November. Special thanks to Jupiter Coyote, one of the artists who appeared on the first Aware CD, who are allowing me to use their songs for this podcast. They just released a kick-ass album called Life Got in the Way and are touring in support of it up and down the East Coast. Today's show was produced and edited by me, Jim Ty, with the help of no one. You probably can tell. Please rate us wherever you get your podcast, and if you enjoyed, check out Part 2 and tell a friend. Our website is bizjams.com, where music and business jam. And thanks for listening. My